0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack, and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you, and equip you to see who God really is, and who you are in Him. Morning Center Church. Good morning. morning. My name is Jack and I am the pastoral resident here at Center and I just wanted to start off today by by apologizing. You see, I've been here for a while but I feel like I haven't really shared my life much, especially when I'm up here, so I thought I'd offer up a little life update to make up for it. How about that? So, following the Midwestern term of, you know, just the other day, aka meaning 2 months ago, I actually proposed and got engaged to my girlfriend, now fiancé. Her name is Anna Nicolette. (laughs) Soon to be Anna Elkema, if she doesn't wise up. No, I'm just kidding. But that is her up on the screen. Uh, We got engaged on August 5th. It was a wonderful day, perfect weather. Her friends helped me a ton. It was awesome. But I felt like I should just share a little bit more about, like, What our situation is like, you know, what what are Anna and I doing right now? So as you know, I am here. I am working at Center Church as of June this year, which has been a blessing and more. It's been amazing being with you guys. And on top of that, I am taking a full credit uh, class load to be in my fifth year of master's or, yeah, I'm just taking master classes online, and it's, it's a doozy. But Anna is also doing a ton. She is at Indiana in Indiana Wesleyan University. And she is taking a full class load to be a math education teacher. And on top of that, she thought that wasn't hard enough, so she took two part-time jobs on top of it, you know, make it a little bit more fun. And as I mentioned, we're getting married, which is amazing. And I know I'm privileged, but, man, wedding planning sucks. (laughs) i got to be honest, man, it's a lot. It's more than I was prepared for. And she's doing a wonderful job at organizing it all, and I'm doing a terrible job at it all. But, I mean, we're planning a wedding, and... As you guessed it, I'm here in Michigan. She's in Indiana, so of course our wedding had to take place in Ohio. It's the only logical place for it to happen. No, I'm just kidding. But on top of all that, we're then moving back here to Michigan after the wedding. So in the next year, we have full student like classwork. We have jobs that we're having. We're having to move. We're you know having a wedding to plan. It's it's been a lot, and I have not been prepared for it to say the least. And I would say that's probably the storm of my life right now that I'm in. It's just juggling a lot of different responsibilities, putting on a lot of hats, and just trying to figure out how to you know, swim right now instead of sink. But I think a lot of the storms we go through in life, we struggle to see the finish line. We, we struggle to see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? We're so swamped down with things. In my situation, I'm so burdened with just a bunch of different responsibilities. And I know that's just life, but that's still a storm, is it not? And it's hard to look at the end, and it's hard for me to look at September 1st of next year and be like, that's the day of our wedding, I'm so excited for it, when we have so much to do right now. And maybe you're in a storm right now where it's the same way, where you don't know what to look forward to. You don't know what hope to hold in your own life. And I want to point us to the God's promises as that hope. See, God gives us that hope that we can look forward to, that we can, that we can keep moving forward towards, and rest assured in. And those promises are found in His Word, found in Scripture. So my goal today is just twofold. I want us to learn what it is to like, accept God's promise. How do we inherit these promises that he has given to us? And second, how do we interact with them? How do we find them? How do we learn from them? And what do they really mean for us? How do we live as if these promises are true in our own life? So we're going to just dive into the word. If you'd open your Bibles, we're going to Hebrews 6. Otherwise, you can go on your Bible app on your mobile device. And we'll be in Hebrews 6, starting in verse 12. Otherwise, you can follow along up here. And we'll just start it off. Hebrews 6 starts like this. We're going to stop at verse 12, so you still have time to get there. But it reads as the following. It says, Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises. Why? How are they inheriting it? Because of their faith and endurance. See, we inherit God's promises by our faith but I know faith is kind of that Christianese word that we would say. It's one of those words that we hear a lot in church, and even if this is your first time in church, you may have already heard the word faith and have just attributed it to being a Christian word, you know? So let's break down what faith actually is. And luckily for us, just a few pages over in Hebrews 11, the first verse says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance or certainty about what we do not see. In other words, faith is an unwavering trust and that which is not here. It is a reason to believe in the things that we have no proof of believing in. In other words, faith is just strictly irrational. There is no point to believe in this thing, yet we're called to believe in it. And faith is just simply trusting that it's going to be true. And that's cool. I mean, I guess we can uh, settle for that definition, but I like to. I'm a a contrarian. I like to argue with people, so I like to find the opposite of definitions to help like solidify what the definition is, if that makes any sense. But we're going to turn to the opposite of faith. Now, if I was to ask you that, what is the opposite of faith? What would you say? The first thing that comes in my mind is unfaith. You know, I like tagging just the un or something there to make it the opposite, but that's not a thing. I mean, we have unfaithfulness, but what does that mean? You know, it's not really. It's using the same word. So, what is the opposite of faith? Well. Lucky for me, I am burdened with a bunch of master's courses where I get a ton of material for a bunch of stuff, and one of those materials has been a guy named Peter Berger. He's a scientist. He's a sociologist who studies people, and he's also a theologian, a man of God, and he offers up an explanation for this. He offers up an answer. He says the opposite of faith is actually knowledge. Hmm, Knowledge, what does that mean? Like, What in this context is knowledge referring to? Well, I'd say it's something like this, where if faith is certainty in what we hope for, and it's what we do not see, we believe in, knowledge is if we don't see something, we don't believe in it, we doubt it. We question it. Because we want to know the truth. We want to know the answer behind it all. If we have no proof for something, well, we have to seek evidence. We have to experiment. If you remember the scientific method and all that stuff from high school, if we have no way to explain something, then we must find the truth of the matter, because otherwise... Knowledge says we can't believe in it. It just doesn't exist. There is only certainty in that which we can see or understand rationally, where faith is a certainty in that which we don't see. We have no proof for it. It's irrational. Now, I don't bring this up to start a whole science versus Christianity debate because I think that's been kind of answered to a degree. I think that we've already established that knowledge and science work well with Christianity, that it helps us understand the Creator's creation, For example, I think my faith is strengthened by knowledge where I know because we've done experiments, we've done the math, we've used all these formulas to solidify the fact that if the earth was any more closer or a little bit further away from the sun, no life could happen, that it was placed perfectly, that the amount of oxygen in our atmosphere was created just perfectly, and our orbit and axis was just perfectly, that on this planetary scale so many minute details occurred that can only point to a grand design, that can only point to a creator. And through that knowledge, through that science that's happened, my faith is strengthened. So I don't want to start your takeaway uh, today to be, oh, knowledge is the enemy. But at the same time, I don't think knowledge can answer all our questions. I don't think a knowledge can explain promises, for example. I think if you receive a promise, if someone promises something to you, you have nothing but pure faith to hold on to that promise with. You have no control over that. You have no proof that they're going to follow through with what they say. You have no proof that their words are true. Maybe they've been true before, but there's no proof that this time, this one instance, their their words are going to be true. I speak from experience from someone who has received broken promises. For someone who likes to just talk, you know, and I receive their their promises, but they just fall through. I mean, we all have that one flaky friend, right? the only way I have to trust promises is by faith. Just an irrational trust that the other person is going to fulfill what they say. In this case, we're trusting God. And it's not as irrational as we would think. We actually have a lot of basis for this faith. And you may be struggling to see this in your own life, maybe because of a broken trust that you've received or a broken promise that's really hurt you. That's even caused a broken relationship as a whole. But we're going to look at what this faithfulness looks like and this faithful trusting in promises. It looks like through the man Abraham. So we're going to continue with Hebrews in 6 verse 13. For example, this idea of faith and promises, there's God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater than swear by, God took an oath in his own name and he gave Abraham this promise. He said, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And Abraham waited patiently. And he received what God had promised. He believed by faith. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without a question, that oath is binding. God has also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise can be perfectly sure that he will never change his mind. In other words, we can have faith that God is going to fulfill his promise. He says so himself. And he can't lie. We'll see that later. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable. Why? I just said because it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for him to change his mind and to go against his word. Therefore, our response of faith for those who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Say that with me, guys. Anchor. Anchor. The name of the series is what we're talking about, remaining anchored in Christ, remaining anchored in these promises found in Scripture, in God's Word. And I really like this passage because it's really easy to pray over. It's really easy to meditate on. We kind of played around with this idea last week with Brian when he played those Scriptures at the end of the service, and he had just this time of reflection for us where we can just pray over this identity that we have in Jesus that's been given to us and is certain. And if you've if you never heard this term of praying or meditating over scripture, and you're trying to wonder, like, what does that mean? Is this, like, some, like, spiritualism thing? Like, what, what's going on? Well, I think it's pretty straightforward for me in my life. For me, it means just hearing the word. Not just surface-level reading in the Bible, but hearing the word that God has given us. Hearing it as if God is speaking to us directly. I know this may rub us some of the wrong way, just because we've always been told, you know, read your Bible, this is how you do it, just get your chapters in for the day, fulfill your quota of the Bible app, whatever it is. But I would challenge that because back in the early history of the Bible, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all this time, they didn't write down Scripture. In fact, Scripture wasn't really recorded until the time of the kings. In fact, the late kings at that. The way that Scripture was passed down was by word of mouth. People would talk or tell these stories to their kids that they've heard from their parents. And then their kids would say it to their kids and so on and so forth until eventually it was recorded. So the only way they actually heard these promises of God and heard these stories that we read is from their parents who told them. They only ever heard these. And I feel like that's something we lost in today's culture. That's a way of interacting with these promises of God that we may have lost. And for me, it's, it's almost relieving just to hear it. Sometimes when I read, I just kind of go on autopilot, you know, I zone out. It's like, oh, I just read it, my chapter, you know, I'm done. I did my daily Bible reading. But sometimes I just need the Bible app just to click play on it and just to let that narrator talk because I need to hear it outside of myself. I need these words spoken over me. I need these promises to be told to me as if they were true, as if they were being given afresh given to me. I think that's one way that we can engage with scripture that's really meaningful. And we'll try this at the end of the service, but I want to look at another way that we can interact with scripture. And for that, we're going to need a different passage. So if you would turn with me to Genesis 15. I'm not going to have it on the screen. I'm not going to have anything like that. I'm going to try to summarize it even because it's a lot. It's a whole chapter, but I encourage you to follow along because there's some crazy things that happen in this chapter. So Genesis 15 You know, I'm going to give you like the the JIV, the Jack International version. It's still under patent pending, but we'll get there, I promise. But it basically starts off like this. And the JIV says, God walked up to this old man, Abraham. Abram is actually his name at this point. I may slip up, I may say Abraham, Abram, but it's the same person we've read about in Hebrews. See, Abram, Abram was an old dude. He was in his mid-70s, he was getting older, he had a ton of wealth, he just didn't have anyone to give it to. He had no kid. And yet in his old age, God approaches him and he gives him a promise. He sees the storm Abram is in. He sees the difficulties he has. And God gives a promise directly to him. He says, you will have a kid, you seven-year-old man. And you will actually have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. You're going to have a nation come out of you. And Abraham is known, renowned in this passage for his unwavering faith. You know, his faith that he has in God, that he just has no reason to believe it. He has knowledge that he's in a bad spot, he has evidence that he needs something to change, but he has no reason to trust this God. He has no reason to listen to what he's saying. He has no proof that this is actually going to happen. In fact, he has proof it'll be otherwise. He's old, he's barren, he doesn't have hope for a kid. And yet he trusts God. And he has this faith that we have to have when it comes to God's promises. And I'll grant, it, I'll grant it this. Abraham does have doubt. It is apparent. He asks God for reassurance. He says, God, how do I know what you're saying is going to happen? How do I know this is actually going to happen? And I think that highlights our own life. You know, so often I'm just like, God, give me this one sign that this is actually true. Give me this one sign that you are there and I'm all yours. I'll believe you in this. I'll take that step of faith. Just give me a sign. Give me something to trust in. And that's what Abram's asking for. So if we can relate to Abram on this, this question that we have, and hopefully we relate a little bit on that faith aspect, maybe we can relate on the reassurance God gives him. Maybe that reassurance is true for us. So let's look at what that reassurance is. I'm going to read it word for word. Uh, Slight trigger warning, though. See, God told him, Abram, give me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. He then cut each animal down the middle, laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Thank goodness, I guess? Like, okay, so this is the reassurance. So, you know, I thought no better way than to show this than to actually show it. So, in the back room, I actually have a three year old heifer, I have a three year old ram, and so, no, I'm just kidding. But this is gross, right? This is that Old Testament kind of stuff that when we read, we're like, okay, here's just a long list. Oh, he's doing what? Okay, that's just some old practice. We're moving on. You know, I got Abram's promise. I got this. I feel confident. You know, that's a cool, feel-good passage where God promises this lowly man something he's been asking for. This is so good. And even at this point, we're like, how do we even, like, try to pray over this? Like, God, thank you for offering these very specific animals. Here you go. It's all in your name. Bless us and amen. You know, how, how, that doesn't make sense. How would we, how would we have that happen? Well, another way that we can engage with God's promises and interact with them is by studying them. I find it odd because if you look at Genesis 15, there's an act of dialogue that happens between Abram and God. One says something, the other replies. One says something, the other replies. And it goes on until this end where it says, God says, give me these animals. And Abram, he just goes and gets them. And in fact, he even kills them. God never said to do that. Why did he do that? Well, by studying, you can find that the context that Abram is in actually recognizes the need for these animals. It recognizes that this is actually a covenant that they make. You know how we sign coven- like binding papers and contracts? This was what they had back in the day. In fact, they would cut these animals in half, except the birds, and they would lay them side by side, and the people who were making this covenant with one another would then walk side by side down the path created by these animals. These animals that were slaughtered, Without harvesting their meat, without being an offering, they were pointlessly killed. These people would walk side by side down the path as if by symbolically saying, If I break my word to you, I am willingly offering myself to be made as these animals, slaughtered in half. In other words, this was how they signed contracts, like I said, and God is forming a contract with Abram. He is offering up descendants, a nation that comes out of this seven-year-old man who has no kids. He later on offers up land, the promised land that we come to know, as well as he's offering to be their God. He's offering to be there with them. It's a pretty hefty you know, offering that God's giving Abram. So what is Abram offering up in return? What is his side of the covenant? To be faithful to God. For him and his descendants that come after him to remain faithful to God. For God's people to remain true to him. See, I, for, I think I forgot to mention this, but that, that whole idea of the covenant and the contract, that's called the cutting covenant. It even had a name back then. And God is making this cutting covenant with Abram, saying, I will do all this for you, and you will do that for me. And if one of us fails, we will receive the punishment. That's a little bit more like to prey on, right? That's a little bit cooler. That's a little bit more depth to the story rather than just animals being senselessly killed. But there's got to be more, right? Well, if we keep reading, Abram actually never makes this covenant. Why is that? Well, it says that Abram's actually put into a deep sleep before this even happens. And instead of Abram walking down this path with God, a smoke pot and a torch end up going down the path together. What the world? I mean, I mean, we're at one place with the animals, but now what's happening with a smoke pot and a torch? What is this? Well, we come to find in Exodus that this is a symbol. You see it on the screen that this is a symbol that actually guided God's people. While they were traveling in the wilderness, they were guided by a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. This representation of smoke and fire represents this presence of God, God being here with us as, with our, with us as his people. But that still begs the question, why are there two? Why was Abram put to sleep, and why did two of these things go down the path? Well, I would argue that, and a lot of scholars would agree with me, that this is a representation of God and of Jesus Christ. See, Abram was put to sleep because God knew we would fail. He knew we would break our, co- we would break our covenant with him. The one task we have of remaining faithful to him, we would fail and we would sin. And for that reason... Jesus walked down the path in our, in our stead. He took our place so that we would receive the covenant with God. We would receive all these blessings, but not the punishment. You see, church, this, this random gross setting in Genesis, the first 15 chapters of the Bible, is actually setting up the whole New Testament. It's setting up the messianic salvation that Jesus provides for us. This has been in the works since the beginning God has loved us from way back when, before we were even born. So much so that he made this covenant, protecting us and blessing us, giving us this hope to hold on to. It's a little deeper than animals being cut. And this story isn't unique. If you study scripture, you'll find so many contextualized clues that, that point towards Jesus. The whole Old Testament is setting up Jesus Christ. And from there, he's setting up the church that we have today. He's setting up the movement of his Holy Spirit and the next life to come. There are so many promises of hope that are sprinkled in scripture that sometimes we just brush over because we don't know what to make of it. But by actively engaging with the scripture and studying, these promises come to light. We can engage with them in a deeper, more meaningful way. And I know you may be sitting there in your seats and you may be saying, That's cool for you, Jack. You're the pastor. This is your job. You probably know where to find these resources a lot easier than we do. I'll let you do that, and then I'll just, you know, I'll soak in what you find. But I'm I'm just gonna be blunt with it. I use the same internet that you use. I ask the same dumb basic questions that you may feel like you have. I don't know the answers. I just search for I keep searching and searching and searching. I keep looking for these guides that help me study. I'm just going to list off a couple guides that I personally use that are are helpful. You know, I like using study guides. Just different things that break down text of scripture like this and say, this is what this is talking about. This is why Abram responded in this way. This is what this covenant holds. This is why there is a smoke pot and torch and so on and so forth. I love Bible studies with people. Bible studies aren't just you know, getting in a circle, reading scripture, praying and singing Kumbaya and going your separate ways. It's active dialogue. It's discussions. It's having someone walk you through the text with resources, with that context that you may not know. I mean, even devotions can help break down scripture. They help break down themes and passages that we may fall like oblivious to. I know one really cool thing is The Chosen. Has anyone heard of The Chosen before? It's a TV show that breaks down the gospel so that you can visually see the context and the stories that happen in Scripture in real life. And on top of that, we have the Bible Project, which helps break down like, books of the Bible and stuff, and very, various words in Hebrew and Greek that I don't even know. You know it's, it's crazy how many different things there are out there to help us study the Bible, and how easy they are to access. I'm going to share one from my life that I really, really like. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. You can see it right up there on the screen. It is a book that just talks about David. David in the Bible, he spans from 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. And that's a, long, that's a lot. That's long books on top of that. They're historical books. They're very, very dull at times. But this book, it breaks down David's life and I kid you not, chapters that are two pages. It's like a play almost. And the reason I like this is because it illustrates how guides and the like aren't supposed to stand on their own. This thing's missing so much out of the story of David, but it's supposed to. If you, read, if you can read that tiny, tiny print, it's a study of brokenness. It talks about the humility David has and how upside down his kingdom ran in relationship to other kings and how he submitted to the rule of the evil king Saul and how he reacted to the civil war brought on by his own son. Overall, it just showed how humble a man he was that I didn't understand at first when I first read the scripture. So through the scripture, I understood who David was. I understood his stories. Through this book, I understand a theme that I didn't even see. And now when I read the back to these boring old historical passages, I can understand these emotions that I didn't even see. I can see David reacting in certain ways because of how he feels. You know, I get to see more of the picture because of this guide. See, guides are, are a complement to scripture. They're not a replacement. They really help you grasp the promises that there are. And now I present this idea of studying, of praying, meditating, and interacting with God's promises, because oftentimes we, inter- we just think differently from another. I know for me, as you heard, I'm very passionate about the study aspect. I'm a very logical, head-minded person. And some of you may not relate to that. Some of you may have zoned out for that whole idea of studying, and, but really like the idea of praying, like the idea of just hearing God's word spoken over us, to get out of our own heads. And there's times for both of them. There are times that we need to hear God's promises. There are times that we need to though I have questions and want to understand how these harmful events in our life really work out for the good of us. How these weird passages of scriptures work out in God's will and how they work out to show us these promises. But that's cool that we can find out all this stuff, but what does it mean to really live as if these promises are true to us? What does that mean? Well, we talked about Abram slash Abraham. Um, but I kind of feel like I should share personally. I told you about the storm I think I'm in right now with just a lot of responsibilities and stuff like that, but not too long ago, I actually came out of another storm. Uh, if you remember, in, I think it was February or March, I actually showed up here in the center. I had a big old sling on. I sat in the corner because uh, I was trying to avoid you know, bumping into someone. But the reason I had that sling and the reason I had all that uh, was because that December... Uh, I ended up falling 20 feet onto concrete. I broke my ribs 11 times. I broke my collarbone. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was a jarring experience. You know, just having a random pain in your chest after just having that experience, you don't know what's going to happen. In that storm of my life, I didn't know what hope was. I didn't know what if I was even going to have a tomorrow. I didn't know what the light at the end of the tunnel was there. I didn't even see it. You know, I was so clouded by just the pain, by the, by the fear of it all. And even as we get to the hospital, turns out I had COVID in that experience. Turns out I had a a little spot in my head and my lungs that we didn't know about. Things kept piling on and I didn't know what was going to happen. I was scared and I was isolated and I just felt like it was it. And one of the things that really just brought me out of it, one of the things that did restore that hope, was my pastor came to visit me. And when he visited me, he he didn't waste any time in sharing this passage. It was Isaiah 41, verse 10. Um, this passage already meant a lot to my family and I, because it was what got us through my grandpa passing. The idea of God having everything in his hand is well. it goes. He had the whole world in his mighty right hand. And that same hand reaches out to us individually. He's not this distant God who has this power and holds it over us, but he comes with that same mighty right hand and holds our own hand. And I was, as I was lying immobile on that bed on my back, hopeless, God's promise to me right there was just holding my hand. It was just comfort. I don't know what storm you're in right now. God does. He knows about that chronic illness that you've had. He knows about that anxiety that you've been struggling with he knows that broken relationship you've been trying to hide because you don't want it healed you want to hold on to that regret and shame but he also has a promise for you he has something so much better he is exactly what you need he had exactly what I needed he has exactly what Abraham needed church he has what you need I just wanted to spend some time just exploring that question. of How do do we live as if these promises are true in our life? As we're closing, there are going to be different scriptures that go on the screen, just different promises God gives us. I'm going to pray over them and how I like to pray over scripture, just to set an example of that. But after the prayer, I just want to offer up that time just a couple minutes where you can just reflect on those promises. Maybe you are just even reflect on what you need God to do in your life right now. So would you join me in prayer? God, you promised to guide us. us to be there with us. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, Lord, it tells us to trust in you with all of our heart. Lord, let us not lead on our own understanding. Let us not trust ourselves in this time where we have no control, Lord. In all of our ways, Lord, we submit them to you. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. Make our paths straight. Point us to you. You promised to crush our enemy under our feet. Romans 16, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your foot. Lord, whatever it is we are facing down, you are more powerful. God put an end to it. Free us, Lord, by the grace of your Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is with us. How do you promised victory over the troubles of this world. John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. God, just give us peace. Give us calming. In this world, you tell us we'll have tribals. We'll have trials. But you also tell us to take heart because you have overcome the world. Lord, help us to trust in you again. And Father God, you promised the Holy Spirit to those of us who ask. In Luke eleven thirteen, 13, it says, if you then, though we are sinners, even if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will you, our perfect Father in heaven, how much more will you give us? Father, you give us the Holy Spirit. You Give us yourself to abide in us, to comfort us. We just ask it in your name right now. Father God, you promise us all of these different promises. You promise so much. You speak to us individually. You know what we need. You know what we're longing for in this very moment. God, show us what you have in store for us. Show us this hope that we have in your precious name that will take us out of all the storms we are in. Lord, we offer up all of our faith to you. Even when it doesn't make sense, Lord, we trust in you. Lord, we pray that you show up in our lives again in a way that we never imagined could happen. We thank you, God, for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. You're the Alpha Omega, beginning and end. We say this all in your precious name. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit centergr.com new. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.